0: Lord, we thank you that 2,000 years ago, you stepped out of eternity into time. You took on flesh in your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You lived the life that we cannot live, the perfect life, the holy life. And then you went to the cross. You died on the cross for our sins. You rose from the grave. You ascended to the right hand of the Father. And Lord, you were with your disciples And just like you being there with the disciples, you are with us today by your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, have your will, have your way in our lives, have your way in our teaching, have your way in our fellowship. Be exalted in this place, Lord. Lord, let no flesh glory in your presence, but let us exalt you, Lord Jesus, Church, one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit and one of the signs that the Holy Spirit is working in the church is he's he's pushing the people toward Jesus. they're, they're, They're drawing attention to Christ. So let's do that. Let's do that. Let's exalt the Lord Jesus Christ for that is the truest evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life, in my life, and in the life of the church. Lord, we love you and we praise you Let us magnify you this morning. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. All God's people said? Amen. 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 You may have a seat. And if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. And um, I'm going to ask Andy or Stephanie. Stephanie's back there. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Stephanie will bring you a Bible. And it's yours to keep you if you don't have one. Cool. That's how we roll at Calvary Chapel. Everybody's got their Bible. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Uh, please turn in your Bibles this morning to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3. Um, first off, thank you, all the leaders and everyone that took care of service last week while me and my wife got away to the beach. We had an awesome time uh, kicking back on the beach, reading our Bible, spending time with the Lord, going fishing, and just having a good time with my family. So thank you to everyone who helped out with um, service last week. It was great to get away. Um, so thank you very much. So this morning we are finishing up Second Peter, the final chapter in, uh, in the book of 2 Peter. And I want to open up the service with reading the very last verse in 2 Peter. Let's take a look at it. 2 Peter chapter 3, the final verse, which is verse 18. Verse 18 says, Peter, these are Peter's final words. After these words, we don't hear nothing else from him. Because shortly after this letter is written, he will be taken out and crucified upside down. And he'll lose his life for the cause of Christ. So these are his final words to the church. In verse 18 he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now, and here it is guys, look at it in your, in your Bibles. The final verse, to the day of eternity. Are you ready for eternity? Are you ready for eternity? Think about it. When we leave this life, how long are we going to be gone for? Forever. There's nothing more important than in this life, nothing, than where you spend eternity. Where you spend eternity. You know, for some of us, Lord willing, I, I'm planning to live to be 90 and see my great-grandchildren, and that's my hope and my prayer, but I'm not promised that. I may step into eternity this week. You may step into eternity this week. So the most important thing in this life is that we get our eternal business settled with the Lord. There's nothing more important than coming to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and knowing the love and the grace and the forgiveness of God and not to mention eternity in heaven. Praise the Lord. There's nothing more important than that. So let's make sure we get that, man. We leave aside tradition. We leave aside religion. And we focus on Jesus. That's the Christian life. That's the Christian life. So uh, this morning, I'm going to go through the whole entire I'm going to make my way through the whole entire chapter, Lord willing, of 2 Peter chapter 3. And I would like to start off with a little bit of historical context of what was taking place as Peter was writing this book. On on your screen is a screenshot from Google Maps today. I got it this week of the Mamertine prison in Rome, Italy. It is still there to this day, and you can go and visit it. In the first century, the the Maritime prison was a cold, dark, subterranean cave where the smell of sewage permeated the air, and rats lived in the dark corners. This was the first century prison for those who defied the Roman uh, tyrannical rule. Right outside the Mamertine, excuse me, the Mamertine prison is the Geronium Stairs, nicknamed the Stairs of Mourning. It was famous in the Roman, it was famous in Roman history for being a place of Roman execution. The condemned would be bound, strangled, and thrown down the stairs. The bodies would then be thrown into the nearby Tiber River. Among the most famous held in this prison were Publius Cornelius, stepfather of Mark Antony, Lucius Sejanus, the prefect under Tiberius, Simon Bargora, who was the leader of the Jewish revolt in 70 AD, Paul the Apostle, and yours truly, the one who wrote this book that we're studying this morning, the Apostle Peter. This is the context. This is the historical setting. Okay? Peter was not in a church, he was not in a palace, he was in a dungeon, he was in a dark cave as a political prisoner writing this letter to the Christians that were undergoing persecution in difficult times. So the title of my message this morning that we're going to look at is Peter's Final Words. Peter's Final Words. And I, I give you that historical context of what's taking place when Peter's writing this letter because I want you to notice how Peter ends this letter. He does not end this letter pleading for his life. He doesn't end the letter pleading for his life because he has found his life. And his life is in the Lord Jesus Christ. He he, he died long ago when he received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. The old Peter died, and now the new life he had was in Peter. But instead of pleading for his life, writing from this dungeon, this political prison, he's pleading with all the Christians throughout all history, including you and I today, to follow in complete surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he will come again. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. And now as we dive into it, um, verse by verse, Calvary Chapel style, Lord, Lord, let the words come alive and challenge us, Lord, to do what Peter says, to live in complete surrender to you with our eyes focused on eternity. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Peter says, This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Now, in these opening verses of 2 Peter Chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. The first thing Peter stresses to you and I is what? He, he uses the word stirring up in verse 1. He uses the word reminder in verse 1. In verse 2, he uh, uses the word remember the words. But what's he telling us to do? Remember the word of God. That's the first principle of living with an eternal perspective. Is we got to remember the, the the scriptures we got to remember the word of God the human brain has been brilliantly designed by God to process and retain information it is through the brilliance of the human mind men have been able to go to the moon. It is through the brilliance of the human mind that we've been able to build skyscrapers like the Burj Khalif in Dubai which is 2,717 feet tall. That's double the height. That's double the height of the Empire State Building in America. The ingenuity of the human mind is amazing. But more important than any science or any technological advance in this world, Peter is reminding you and I in these opening verses this morning, that the greatest thing you can do with your mind, more important than technology, more important than science, more important than medical uh, technology, is to remember the word of God. Remember the word of God, family. As we live life, as, as, we, as we march towards eternity, we need to remember the scriptures. The word of God gives you and I the true meaning of life. which is serving the Lord. It tells us where we came from, why we're here, what will happen when we leave this life. This book contains everything you need to know for life and godliness. And it tells us how we can spend eternity with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, by repenting and believing the gospel and by putting our trust in him. There's nothing you can do Christ has done it all. All you have to do is trust and believe in him. And he gives us that. The word of God must be firmly imprinted in our hearts and our minds. Why? Because your Bible that you're holding in your hand is completely true. It's completely true in everything it says. It is accurate, it is trustworthy, and it is reliable and you can bank your life on it, and you can bank your eternity on it. So the first thing Peter is saying from this prison there in Rome as he's listening to to the people being killed outside, knowing that his day of eternity is coming very shortly as he's telling the Christians, don't worry about me. I'm set. You remember the word of God. Verse 3. Let's look at verse 3 and 4. Knowing this, First of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mockering, following after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fall asleep, all continue, just as it was from the beginning of creation. So what's the second thing Peter is telling us here in this final chapter, his final words? He's talking about the last days. And what he's saying here is in the last days, as we get closer and closer to the return of Christ, men will mock the gospel. And specifically in this text, men will mock the promise of his return. Very, very foolish mistake. Just as the scripture tells us he died on the cross for our sins and we believe it, just as the scripture says he rose from the grave and we believe it, just as the scripture says, he's given us his Holy Spirit and we believe it, And the same, we believe and we hold to because it's true that Christ will return. If you count up all the New Testament verses that reference the return of Christ, it comes out to one out of every 25 verses in the New Testament refer to Christ's return. The cornerstone the cornerstone verse of, of, of Christ's return is, is a reference to the rapture. And that's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 18, where the apostle reminds us that on, that on that day in the future, it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we always be with the Lord. And I love this, verse 18. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. He came, he lived a sinless, perfect life, born of a virgin, died on the cross, rose from the grave, ascended to the right hand of the Father. He will come again. He will come again. Let there be no doubt. But what I want you to notice is, is in, in verse 3. Look in verse 3 of your Bibles. Like a skilled pastor, a very smart, skilled pastor, Peter reveals the real reason they reject his coming. Did you see it? It's found in verse 3. It says, knowing this, first of all, in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking. And look at it. The NASB, some, some translations put this in different parts of the verse. But it says, following after their own lust." The real reason they reject Christ is not because they don't understand or they can't comprehend it. It's because they don't like the message. They don't like the idea that Christ will return and judge the world in righteousness. You know, they're following after their own lust, man. When you're following after the things of the world and you're following after the sin of the world, you don't like the things of God. You don't want to talk about the cross. You don't want to talk about his resurrection. You don't want to talk about living a spirit-filled life. And of course you don't want to talk about his return. I remember before I became a Christian, I was lost. (laughs) And I lived in darkness. But my grandma, she preached the gospel to me every time she could get a chance. And every single night, every single night, I would lay my head on my pillow in my drunken stupor and say, now lay me down to sleep, pray, Lord, so I'll keep eyes down for a week, pray, Lord, so I'll keep using them. pray, amen. Some of y'all remember that prayer, some of you don't. But in my heart of hearts, I knew Christianity was true. And I would throw up this Hail Mary prayer as if it meant anything, which it didn't. But the, the point was, I, I knew the Bible was true. I knew he was coming, but I rejected it because I loved my sin more than I love God. And, and, but that's the real reason. That's the real reason, people. Christianity is very simple. Jesus came. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose from the grave. If you will receive him as your Lord and Savior and put your trust in him, he will forgive you of your sin. He will grant you eternal life. He will save you. He'll give you a brand new heart. But the real, piece, real reason people reject that... It's because they would rather live in their sin. And that's just deception. That's deception. I was deceived. I was deceived for so many years. I remember when finally I heard a solid gospel presentation in 1992. And this preacher preached on the cross. And I just realized my guilt. And I realized my darkness. And then all of a sudden my eyes were open. I was like, man, I don't want to live in darkness no more. I want to live in the light. I want to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, But Christ will come again. These guys are following after their own lust, and because they're following after their own lust, they are denying the return of Christ. We know he's the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. John 14, 6. Let's continue. Verse 5. Verse 5 says, For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice, that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water by water. Now, what Peter is doing here is he's going into detail. He's elaborating on these people that are mocking Christ and that are denying his his return. And in verse five, he uses this phrase in our English language. It says, uh, "For when they maintain this, it, it escapes their notice." In the Greek, that is one word, lethano. It means that uh, unaware. It means it means ignorant. So in the Greek, it's when they maintain this, they are unaware and ignorant. The NASB translated, it escapes their notice that that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water. See, there is this witness that every single human being gets a gospel presentation, gets a presentation of God every single day of their life, and it's called creation. They look up every day and see this beautiful blue sky and this ball of sun 93 million miles from planet Earth. They see creation, they see life, and it is a testimony to all people that there is a God, that He is the Creator. He is the the uncreated One that dwells outside the realm of time and space in eternity. And mankind seals His fate. He seals his fate when he he looks at creation and rejects that God created it, that it formed some primordial ooze, some big bang explosion, which there is no evidence for at all. The creation is evidence of who God is. Everything in the universe is a supernatural testimony, an irrefutable sign that there is a God. Planet Earth is 93 million miles from the sun. The size, position, and angle of the earth is a scientific phenomenon. A few degrees closer to the sun, we burn up. A few degrees further away, we freeze. The axis of the earth is tilted at what degree? 23, at a 23-degree angle. This perfect tilt allows equal distribution of the sunlight, making it possible for the food chain to exist. When there is, and then there's the nitrogen and oxygen in our atmosphere that you and I just take for granted and breathe every day. Thank you, Lord, for breath. Who's, who's, putting, the, who's putting the air together for us? God. God is putting it. It is, is, is putting it together. It is the exact mixture. Oxygen, nitrogen is the exact mixture that sustains life. Then there's the moon that controls the tides. The tides clean the ocean and make it possible for sea life to exist. It blows away the human mind to witness the rotation of the sun, the moon, and the stars. They are like celestial evangelists above that circle the earth, and they shout in every language and on every continent that there is a God. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, he says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen and being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. People see creation. Creation commands a creator. The Bible answers that. The Bible answers why we're here Because God created us. He created us for his glory. He created you and I with a purpose and a plan. He created this earth. He created this universe. The universe, everything that happens in our solar system, it all wraps around life on planet earth. Then everything that happens on planet earth that God has created is wrapped around sustaining life for you. And me, so that we can live a life and serve our God and King, so that we can enjoy life. He's like, okay, I'm taking care of your air, I'm taking care of your sunlight, I'm taking care of your nighttime, I'm taking care of keeping your heart beating, I'm taking care of all the things that you take for granted, so that you can live this life loving Jesus and serving Christ. He is the creator. But it escapes, it escapes their notice. And he's going to continue. Verse 6. Look at verse 6 of Second Peter chapter 3. Through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. Family. Noah's Ark was not a fairy tale. It's not a fairy tale it's not a myth. It was a real flood. It was a real ark. And it was a real judgment. Sometimes I wonder why people why, why and, we, and we've done it too at the Ford house, but why we decorate our kids' rooms with Noah's ark? You know, because it's cool. You see the animals and the boat. But that was actually a judgment. <laughs> that was actually a judgment that that God brought. That was God's judgment on sin, brought on the world back in the days of Noah. And the scripture is telling us this morning in the New Testament, here in 2 Peter chapter 3, that another judgment will come, except this time it will not be with water, it will be with fire, according to verse 7. Verse 7 says, For the but the but by his word the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day. The, two two reasons, two reasons that the, the fire will come, according to verse 7. Look at verse 7. He says, number one, for judgment. There'll there'll be a judgment on the physical universe, on the physical world. There'll be a complete removal of disease. There'll be a complete removal of sin. There'll be a complete removal of evil. See, we live in a fallen world. We we live in a fallen world marred by sin. But God says, one day, I'm going to create a new heavens and a new earth. And there will be no disease. There will be no sin. There will be no evil. Sometimes that's hard for you and I to get our minds wrapped around, welcome to the club. But it's what the scripture says. And it's what God says he'll do. And the second thing he says there in verse 7, notice, he says, for the destruction, look at it, for the destruction of ungodly men. That's what it says there. And you look at the book of Revelation and, and you see the, the judgment being poured out on the earth. Man desperately needs to understand this, that apart from Christ, he is under God's judgment, and he will bear the weight and consequences of his sin. Apart from Christ, uh, they are not heading for heaven, but they are moving towards destruction and damnation. The sentence of destruction and damnation, however, can be removed. Praise the Lord. I was, down, I was going down that path. I was going down that path of damnation and destruction. But, in, in, but God graciously rescued me by bringing me the gospel and me receiving him as my Lord and Savior. But this sentence of damnation and destruction can be removed if they will simply humble themselves and come to the cross. It's that simple. It's that simple, family. The judgment, the condemnation is all removed when a person comes to Calvary. That's the way it works. The judgment that was coming on David before he got saved, the wrath talked about in John chapter 3, he who has the son has life, he who does not have the son does not have life for God's wrath abides upon him. That wrath that was coming towards me When I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, it was placed on the cross. That's beautiful. That's glorious that Christ did that for me. But God's will, and we're going to see this in the text, this is not God's plan. This is not God's plan for humanity. But because God is good, because God is just, God is holy, he must punish sin. Isaiah 118 This is the heart of the Father, by the way. Isaiah 118 says, Come now. This is what he says to the planet Earth. He says, Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. They are red like crimson. They will be like wool. That is the heart of God. That is the heart of God for man. That they bow their knee And say, Jesus, you are Lord. Please forgive me of my sin. And and you're not perfect. When a a person comes to Christ, they're they're not perfect. Perfection perfection will not be attained until you get to heaven. We blow it along the way. But check this out. He forgives you of all past, present, and future sin. Jesus takes the price. If, you will come to, if, they, if people will come to him, come now, let us reason to go, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be white as snow. I love that, white as snow. I know on the inside, my heart is clean. Not because of anything David has done, but because of what God has done in my heart. And he offers that to all people. What person in their right mind would reject this kind offer? Come on, Really? He offers you forgiveness of sin. He offers you everlasting life if you'll just come to him and, and, and trust in his sacrifice. That's the heart of the Father. Let's look at verse 8. You know, I imagine maybe some of the people there had sent a letter to Peter and said, hey, man, but that was such a long time ago. You know, this is around 66 AD. It had been 30 years. It had been 30 years since Jesus' earthly ministry and some of the disciples and some of the people are saying, Hey, man, what's up? It's been 30 years. He hasn't come yet. So what can people say today? Dude, it's been 2,000 years, man. What's going on? What are we waiting on? 2,000 years? You know how long that is? That is a long time. Look at what Peter says in verse 8. Verse 8, he says, But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. The first thing he says there in verse 8, he says, Do not let this one fact escape your notice. In other words, understand this. Understand this. And what is he saying to understand? Understand this. That God dwells outside the realm of time and space. He dwells in that place we call eternity. Have you been there? I have been there. But the Bible says he dwells, uh, Paul says in Timothy, who alone is immortal, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be the glory throughout all the ages. He dwells in this place called eternity. He dwells outside the realm of time and space. So in the eyes of eternity, in the eyes of heaven, Jesus just died on the cross two days ago. You see it? Look at it again, verse 8. Do not escape this one fact, that with the Lord One day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. God is not confined to operating within the realm of human time, okay? He dwells outside of time, okay? So we're sitting here waiting, waiting, waiting. In in the eyes of eternity, it just happened a couple days ago. He could come tomorrow. He may come in, uh, in maybe another thousand years. I don't know. No man knows the date or the hour. But he dwells outside the the, the realm of time and space, and he dwells in eternity. And that's what verse 8. So Peter is saying to all Christians throughout all time, don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. The author of Hebrews in Hebrews 13.8 says, uh, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. A lot of things change in life. Our hair color changes in life. Where we live changes in life. The earth changes a lot, and Cities change a lot. Everything around us changed, But one thing that doesn't change is God, is the Lord Jesus Christ. He continues in verse 9. The Lord is not slow. Verse 9. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but his patience towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. This, my f- friend, you're wondering, man, why hasn't Christ come yet? Why, why isn't he coming? Why isn't he coming on my timeline? The verse answers it. This is the reason, verse 9 in your, of chapter 3 right here, this is the reason Christ is delaying his return. Why? Because he desires that no one perishes. It, it is not God's plan or purpose for anybody to perish. The, this verse right here, verse 9, it, it crushes the idea of what theologians call double predestination. And double predestination is is that God uh, chooses some for heaven and he chooses some for hell before they were born. And the scripture does not teach that. Matter of fact, fact, the the scripture teaches on the contrary that Jesus came for the entire world. He came for whosoever. Ezekiel 33.11 from the Old Testament Says, say to them as I live, declares the Lord. Look at the verse for yourself and read it with me. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why then will you die, O house of Israel? God takes no desire, no pleasure, and does not plan the the for people to be lost. People are lost and they perish because they reject the witness of God and they reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. The most famous verse in the Bible that we see at every football game that we all know by heart, John 3.16 says what? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I love the King James. Whosoever believes in him. 1 John Uh, chapter 2, verse 2, says, And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the, what? The whole world. The idea that God damns people before they are born does not align with Scripture and is not true. The gospel is for all people, for all people everywhere. Now, did he choose Christians Before the foundation of the world? Yes. Ephesians chapter 1 teaches that he chose us to be in Christ before the foundation of the world. So are Christians predestined? Are they chosen? Yes, the scripture teaches that. But what you will not find is the double predestination aspect that people were selected before they were born for hell. That's not not the case. That's not biblical. Is Is that hard for you to get your mind wrapped around Welcome to the club. Welcome to the subject of God. we got to stick with what the Scripture says. And where the Scripture says and teaches, we hold to and we cling to. But what it doesn't say, we don't believe. And we don't interject man's philosophies in the Scripture, but we let it speak clearly. Verse 9, he's not wishing that any to perish, but for all come to repentance. That's why we have missionaries. That's why we have evangelists to go out and and preach the gospel and win the lost over to the Lord. Verse ten, verse ten says, um, "But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since these things are going to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people are you? Ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness?" verse 12, looking for the hastening and coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat. Family, that's intense. That's a very intense, colorful passage that the scripture is talking about that, that will be in the future. That the heavens will be destroyed, will be burned up, and the elements will melt with intense heat. There will come a day where God will completely purify and cleanse this world of all sin, evil, and disease. He will cleanse it, and he will remove it once and for all. But not only that, it says he's going to recreate everything. he's, he's, He's going to completely, everything is going to burn up. So, don't get too attached to that new house. It's going to burn. Don't get too attached to that new car. It's going to burn. Don't get too attached to how much money you got in savings. Why? Because it's going to burn. Things that we need to attach ourselves to, do things that we need to attach ourselves to, is faithfulness to Christ. Faithfulness to his word. And faithfulness to each other. And don't get me wrong, I'm not against material blessings and and, and the Lord blessing us with material wealth in this life, but we have to keep it in his perspective. You know, I, I work hard on, on my savings account. I, I like to store money away to take care of things as they come up. You know, I like to get my house paid off, and I like to make good and wise investments. And so we need to be good stewards of the things that we have in life, but we need to keep them in perspective. One day they will be pulled away from our hands when we step into eternity. So let's attach ourselves to what's most important in life because everything else is going to go up in smoke. So the question rises as we're studying 2 Peter chapter 3. How do we live? How do we live in light of eternity? What's the application for here and today? And I believe that's where Peter is going in verses 13 through 18. So let's look at them. How do we live in light of eternity? Verse 13, but according to his promises, Excuse me, but according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, here it is. Look at the first one in verse 14. He says in verse 14 to us, Be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless, and blameless. So, the first application for you and I today, learning and knowing what the future holds, is we need to make sure. That we are in Christ. We need to make sure that we are in Christ. We don't need to trust in some, a prayer that we said as an eight year old in a VBS, you know, for me 40 years ago. But we need to make sure that our salvation is a present reality. And from time to time, different people, different strokes, different folks, some people it's more often than not, some people it's not, but we need to examine ourselves we say, am I trusting in Christ? You know, am I living for him? Am am, am I falling into that rut of tradition? Or am I falling into that rut of trusting in religion? You know, that's, that's the temptation for us all. But we need to examine ourselves and be diligent to be found in him by saying, you know what? For salvation, I'm trusting in you, Lord Jesus. That's how we can be diligent to be found in him. By asking ourselves and looking back over our life looking back over your life and making sure you can check these three boxes. Check these three boxes. The first one is simply, have you received Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Has he come into your heart? Has he come into your life? John said to all those who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. So have you received him? Have you repented? Have you said, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for violating your moral law. Does it mean you're perfect? Christians are not perfect. And Christians blow it, even after they become a Christian. But if you come to a point in life where you say, God, I'm sorry for my sin, please forgive me. Receive, repent, and then trust. Have you put your trust in Christ? And if you've done those three things, you are being diligent to be found by him. There's nothing in there about water baptism or taking the Lord's Supper or or perfect church attendance or perfect tithing record or whatever else that you want to add to the list. But simply trusting in Christ and being diligent to be found in Him. Peter said in the, in the opening of this chapter, back in uh, chapter one of Second Peter, he said in verse 10, "Therefore my brothers and sisters make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Christians have a responsibility. A little fruit examination, you know? Just between you and God, nobody else, but you know you look at your fruit look at your life and say, Lord, am I surrendered to you? Have I done these things? And he says, if you do those things, you will never stumble. Um, So the first one there, when it says in verse 14, be diligent found him, make sure you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior. Verse 15. Let's look at verses 15 through 17. He says, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them these things, which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of scriptures to their own destruction. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away. Here it is, guys. Here it is, number verse 17. Look closely. That you are not carried away by the error Of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. The second principle of living in light of eternity, knowing that you've received Christ, is simple. Don't be carried away by false teachers and false teaching. You know, always whether you're if you're here in Columbia, if you're coming to Calvary Chapel, praise the Lord. We're going to study the Bible verse by verse. If you go to another church, Make sure it's a good solid Bible teaching church. If you move to another town, find you a good, solid, Bible-believing church. You know, make sure they're teaching from the scriptures. You know, I don't want you to hear my ideas. I want you to hear God's ideas. I just want to open up the word and just share it with you verse by verse, just as it says, and let it speak for itself in the clear historical grammatical interpretation of scripture. What the scripture says and the definition of the words according to Miriam's dictionary. Let it stand as it is and let it speak to us and and teach us and not be carried away by uh, philosophies and traditions. Paul said in Colossians 2.8, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies which depend on human tradition rather than on Christ. On Sunday mornings and in our Bible studies and in your personal devotion time, you need to be reading your Bible. Okay? That's, that's, that's the bread and butter, okay? That's, that's the bread and butter. And it don't take a skilled theologian to teach you. You can open your scriptures in your home, open the scriptures in church, open the scriptures at Bible studies, and simply learn. Acts chapter 17, verse 11, talking about not being carried away by false teachers. We want to be good Bereans. Uh, Acts 17, 11 says, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. You know, when you think about it, Paul is who wrote most of the New Testament. His, his writings are inspired by God, 2 Timothy 3.16. Uh, but yet the, the Christians at, at Berea were diligently studying the Old Testament scriptures to make sure what Paul was saying was correct. Well, family, I present to you, if we have to check Paul, then we got to check everybody, okay? We have to listen to everyone, everyone that we listen to, we need to listen to with, with an open Bible, and we need to take notes, and we, and please, 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 don't be afraid to ask any Bible teacher, including myself, for clarification on something I say or something someone else says. Sometimes I've gaffed. Sometimes somebody has brought something to my attention, and they're like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I said that. And I'll make a correction. You know, but don't be afraid to ask me or any of your other favorite Bible teachers, hey, pastor, hey, teacher, can you, can you provide a little bit of clarification on what you're teaching? just want to help understand. You know, do it in a, in a spirit of gentleness, in a spirit of kindness, and you'll most likely get a nice, gentle, and kind answer back. But that's how we do it there. But don't be carried away. Verse 18 Verse 18, Peter's final word before he steps into eternity is recorded in, in history and in the scriptures. Verse 18, he says, But, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Savior, Jesus Christ, and please get me out of prison. Come break me out, and let's, let's, let's have a political sabotage and get me out of here. Is that what he says? No. No, it says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. The third principle I present to you, living in light of eternity. Living in light of knowing that day's ahead is this. Grow in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, brothers, sisters, love Christ more. Love him more. Spend time in His Word more. Listening to the Spirit. Spending time in the Word. And grow. Grow. Grow as a Christian, okay? Grow in your love and your devotion to Him. Not in your love and devotion to me or to Calvary Chapel, but your love and devotion to Christ. Love Him. Trust Him. Obey Him. In verse 18... He said, that, that word grow in verse 18 is in the present tense, meaning we continue and we excel, okay? We need to excel and we need to grow. We, what do we grow in? God's grace. We've all heard what grace means. It means God's unmerited favor. Grace is God's truth, God's love, God's mercy, God's unmerited favor. I think it was Billy Graham. I'm not sure. How, I think he said this, but grace is an acronym for, what is it? God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what grace is. Grace is God's riches on your life. That's what you need to grow in, okay? That's what you need to leave here and focus your life on, is growing in grace. So many Christians I meet today, they do not understand grace. They do not understand grace. They're tied to performance. They're tied to performance. They're tied to legalism. And they're motivated by guilt in their life. And that's very tragic because that's not the way the New Testament describes grace. Grace is God's way he deals with you. Your relationship with God is based not on your performance, but on his Amazing grace in his Holy Spirit working in and through you. Love him, trust him, obey him, and wrap your life. I'm looking at verse 18. Wrap your life in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and follow him with all your heart. And then the second half of verse 18, I don't... Uh, this is a wonderful verse here. He says, To him be the glory. Peter is referencing Jesus, his Lord, his Savior. To him be the glory, both now and to the... I love this. Look at that word at the end of verse 18. Now and to what? The day of eternity. The day of eternity. And then he says... Amen. Peter's day of eternity that he's referencing here in verse 18 is on the doorsteps, literally. From the maritime prison to the Geronium steps to the area where crucifixions took place, where they were thrown down the steps, where political prisoners were put to death, they could hear it. From, from the Mar- Mar- Mamertine prison. They could hear those crucifixions. They could hear that hollering. They could hear those people being put to death. Go, go search it online. Research what, what happened there in the first century. Peter could hear that, okay? I don't know about you, but if I heard that, I might be just a little bit scared, a little bit nervous A little bit, little sweaty palm action going on, but what does he say? He says to him, "Be the glory to the day of eternity." Peter was on the doorsteps of eternity as he's pinning this final portion of scripture. Shortly after verse eighteen is completed, uh, Peter will be put to death outside the Mamertine prison, and in an attempt to humiliate him. The Roman authorities will choose crucifixion as the form of execution for Peter. And church history tells us that when they took Peter out there to crucify him, and he realized, oh, they're going to crucify me, they're going to put me on a cross, because that was a first century style of execution, the same way they did Jesus. That At Peter's request, Peter requested, please do not crucify me in the same manner as my Lord but crucify me upside down. He said, said, I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same manner as my Lord. So the Roman authorities uh, honored his request and they crucified him upside down and he stepped into eternity, Peter. He was ready for his day of eternity, verse 18. Are you ready for your day of eternity if you are not ready for your day of eternity, then I'm going to give you 10 things that you got to do. No, I'm just kidding. No, there's not 10 things you got to do. I'm going to give you one thing to do. Trust in Christ. Trust in Christ. Put your hope, put your faith, put your trust in Jesus Christ alone. And say, Lord, please come into my life. Please come into my heart. Come into my life and save me. Apologize to God for your sin. And say, Lord Jesus, I trust you. And when you do that, you will be ready for your day of eternity. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for 2 Peter chapter 3. And Lord, uh, help each and every one of us here to, to love you, to trust you, to obey you, to walk with you, Lord, and to know in our hearts, Lord, Help us settle this matter once and for all, Lord, that that our hope and our salvation is found by trusting in you, Lord Jesus. Lord, if there be anyone here that hasn't done that, I pray that today will be the day of salvation and they will put their trust in you. And Father, for the believers, Lord, remind us this morning, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That is our salvation. That is our hope. And so, Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for this awesome meal that we've had in your word. So, Lord, help us go out today. Shine your light. Shine your truth. Shine your love and your grace so that the whole world may see, Jesus, that you are Lord. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen.